All right, welcome back. Inappropriate Earl is back in business, uh, fully loaded. Of course, we had a episode with the legend of Chris Cope, but I had a new mixer, and I had his mic muted. And oh. I paid two people to try and get this uh, episode out, but it was unsavable. So the great Ari Manis, the man who is responsible for showing me how to do Inappropriate Earl, editing, promoting, all that good stuff. He came over, and we're going to do this round two with a man who's already been here twice. What's up? Once before. The great John Twice. Hastings. No, it's twice. It was twice. I came with Mike Ward once. And Pantelis. And Pantelis the day, my, day after my grandfather died. And then we did another one, you and me. So this is you're a third-timer. I'm a three-peter. And I barely like to have people on once. I'm the Brett the Hitman Hart of Inappropriate Earl. Well, I, you know me. I love the wrestling references. You got an uh, Abdullah the Butcher figurine and all the Ultimate Warrior comic books. And also you, I don't even think you realize it, but you liked a post from my wrestling podcast. And we're like, well, I got to get into these guys. They're talking about Gary Hart. Uh, the legend of Gary Hart. He's the playboy. Now, a lot of people think we're talking about um, Jimmy Hart because he was a lot more... Well, he well went to known. the he went to the WWF. Well, Gary Hart was a a weird, evil looking nice man who mostly lived in Texas and dealt with cokeheads. Yeah, Mid South uh, WCCW. That's world class uh, championship wrestling. If there's any Israelis listening, they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and they had some incredibly racist uh, characters. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Bear in mind, Gary Hart, here's why Gary Hart was considered an evil villain. He was a white man from Chicago, spoke like a black person. We are in Texas. Boo that man. Boo him. And it's, uh, Gary Hart was the reason me and Ralphie May became friends, because we bonded over um, Gary Hart. And when you talk wrestling with people, especially uh, newer fans, you bond over Hulk Hogan. Steve Austin, The Rock. No one bonds over Gary Hart. I mean, I've bonded over Tully Blanchard. I've bonded over... It's one of those things where wrestling is a undercover, underground society. I want you all to know at home, by the way, how much uh, Earl doesn't want this to fuck up as he just stared at the mixing board like it fucked his wife. Well, I'm scared because I've only had that happen twice. Uh, once with the great Doug Fager who's a, a brilliant roast battle comic and, and a comic too. I hate saying roast battle comic. But, of course. Um, and it was like a two and a half hour episode where gone. Doug's a great guy and uh, he has some sad stories about his family, but you know, we bridged it with some happy stories. This is also an American move, which I love is referring to people as a happy person or a set. Like they're like, this guy's a good guy. Oh, happy. he's, but Doug is literally, if I quit comedy, he would be one of the, and it was given a list of 10 people I could stay in touch with. He would be one of them. Would, who would be the most surprising person on that list? That I would keep in touch with? Um, uh, Kevin Brennan. <laughs> yep, that's, just, that's a good one. For those of you who don't know who Kevin Brennan is, he's Neil Brennan's older brother and is one of the more like definitional toxic human being. He's an incredibly funny guy, but he will be mean in a way that's like, oh, that's 
that's very much my weak spot. How did you find it? And it's like, I've had eight brothers. And it's like, oh, you were raised in a house with eight enemies. I understand. But, like, I get along with him. Uh, so, and I don't carry the torch for his feuds. Uh, and, and I don't expect people to. That's true. You are, because you are a feudsman. But you don't expect anyone to be like, you never turn to be like, right? Like, you're just sort of like. Yeah, you you're like this is my thing. I'm speaking truth to power. Yeah, everyone else make your own choice. Like I I don't like Jeff Ross. It, it's it's I've gone and we don't have to get into the reasons, but you know, more or less how I was treated on roast battle and uh you know his manager and, and, and his little posse. Uh, but I don't expect people to like if you open for him, great. Like yeah, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't be like what the hell? I, I, you know, there's. By the way, if you uh, if you want to know Earl's reasons, you can just check his Twitter because he keeps you pretty updated on his feuds on Twitter, which is why, and I mean this, he's a must follow, must follow Twitter account. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I keep it real. You like, certainly do, and I love. Here's what I love: I don't want to be involved in any comedy feud. I want everyone to get along, but I do want to watch when there is comedy feuds going on, like. No one says this enough about social media. It has given us a place where, do you want to read a fun story of your friends fighting? Yeah, I do. And it's like, well, it is available for free right here on the internet. Have yourself a wonderful time. There was a, f a few comedy feuds in Britain that like played out over Facebook threads that were like 300 people. There was one in Toronto over a, a comedian named Trix was tricking other male comedians into sending him photos of his feet. And that all came out on uh, on social media. By the way, uh, Trix tries to act like he didn't do that, but he very much did and has been caught doing it a variety of other times. And that is someone I'm not afraid to throw under the bus because he photographs people's feet um, for illicit sexual reasons. Or I also heard a rumor that he's selling the photos and that's how he makes some of his money. And I hope it's that reason because that's so much weirder. See, I only know of Trix through my friend Ty Rivera. Oh. And I guess, um, I guess you would classify this as a Vegas comedy feud, uh, where Ty has accused Trix of stealing a joke. Mm. Um, I don't know enough about the situation to comment any further, but Ty's very, um, I guess you would say, adamant about Trix stealing uh, this particular joke, um, and I have heard through the grapevine that he may tricks who i don't know mm. never met him don't know if he's a good guy or, or not uh it might lift jokes i don't know if that's true or not i want to put that out there it's interesting uh, I've, I've never heard that he lifts jokes i have heard he's tricked a lot of male comedians into sending them photos of his feet i have heard that which uh oh and then he tried to blame uh two comedians that inexplicably were not involved in it one of whom I think is it was just very funny. It was just he was like, and this guy always doing pranks on people. That guy not involved in the situation, tried to deflect. It didn't work. Made everyone go like, that sounds like the deflection of a man who likes to photograph young comedians feats uh, in case they'll get an Xbox. I mean, uh, you know, I'll, I'll stick up for myself in this regard. I'm very factual in my feuds. Uh, or As am I. But but so I think if you're factual, this is true. You you are the thing is is that you have to be factual and you have to be unafraid of an awkward situation, and I'm not afraid. 
you have to be able to deal with an awkward situation. I try and keep that out of my life, which means my feuds are they are non-existent because I just I know in comedy because I've been feud adjacent where you 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 have to be in a green room with two people that are warring is so uncomfortable, but it's even better than knowing that that it's 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 fascinating. I've also never been in a situation where I have to feud. I should point out I've never been tested. I have one guy in Montreal from when I started. He hates me, but that's because he's done nothing else with his career and he just runs an open mic. So that feud is very one-sided because I'm not in that community. I don't have to be a part of it. Right. I mean, that's more I would classify that not knowing anything about the situation, but just from how you described it, I would say that guy's talking shit about you probably just because he's jealous. Yeah. you can, And that's different. Like, I also have a thing with you can talk shit about me. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to be involved. Go ahead. You're by the way, you're not affecting my life in any way because I know how shit talking works, and no one who is important will listen to any of the people that are shit talking me. So I'm fine. Well, that, it, which is why I try and keep it factual because you know I don't, uh, you know I think if you keep it factual and say, well, this is why I'm mad. A B C D E F G H to Z with my situation with roast battle, people go, okay, I might not agree with you, but. You're not just saying it for a... Because I think there's a new wave of podcasting. Podcasters, and I guess radio show, where people talk shit just to get reaction. Absolutely. Yeah, they're doing... It's very funny. I was a big... Ra- I love talk radio, and I've loved talk radio all my life. I was a... Like, I was a... Like it was Canada, so you really didn't... Like, Howard Stern, we got from his movie. When I got to university, we had torrents. You could download the back catalogs of Stern... And of Opie and Anthony. So I have like I love that world and that culture. It doesn't work in the same way in podcasting because there are no financial futures, bosses, stuff like that. It's like it's you doing it's not like the program director of Nerdist is like your da- your downloads are down. You gotta go after Death Squad. Right. Like they're not if it's it's not an organic anger that like the reason why Opie and Anthony and Howard Stern feuded is Howard Stern tried to muzzle Opie and Anthony because Opie and Anthony were like, we need to get in the newspapers. Here's how we'll do it. Howard Stern is old. Like all of this right. sort of stuff, you speak truth to power. It doesn't work that way in podcasting because like if someone wants to go after, for lack of a better example, Joe Rogan and be like, I don't know if Joe Rogan knows science. It's like uh, CNN and every news outlet has beat you to that. That's not daring or interesting and he's also not going to acknowledge you. That's there's no fun to that feud. There's no anything. You're just saying what you're saying. And this is the other problem with the world now is it's it's gotten to this place of like, like it's not over fun things. It's not over like that guy's a douchebag. It's like that guy doesn't believe that. And this isn't to do with Rogan. This is just in generalities when it comes to podcast views. That guy is, doesn't believe in the vaccine and believes in the Proud Boys. I do not believe in that. Right. So it's not a fun podcast feud. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I also, unless you know some fun, fun podcast feuds, and then please tell me about them right now. I mean, really just Kevin Brennan and uh, I, I guess his uh, situation with his brother, Neil. Uh, I will tell you that. That is a fun feud. I enjoy the shit. Like, the fact that Kevin Brennan paid cash to see Neil's one-man show was fantastic. But, I didn't like, wanna... Neil's always cool to me, so I told Kevin, like, 
I'm like, hey man, like he's always been nice to me, so I, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna gang up on him. And he's like, oh, I don't care. Like, and believe me, when Kevin Brennan says he doesn't care, he doesn't care. Uh, but so it's always been a little awkward when, uh, you know, I'm on and he starts ripping Neil, and and you know, now me and Neil aren't like best friends. He fist bumps me, hey Earl, how you doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He judged a roast battle uh, of mine at, at Clusterfest, and he got me pretty good actually. He was like. Uh, Earl, I didn't even know you did comedy outside of Los Angeles. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I, what can I say? You're pretty much right. Um, yeah. So yeah, if you're yeah, if I don't see, yeah, seeing you at a show not in L.A. would be like if the Crows left the Tower of London. Yeah, he got me, and I, I and he voted for me. Uh, I will also say this, and this is a great thing: is you, you're a, you're usually at the store, and that's always nice because sometimes you like are at the store, and a few friends have broken off into groups you're not necessarily wanting to join, or like you can't really join. There might be like. You're a good like lean against the wall. Oh, I'll just go talk to Earl for five minutes. Yeah. Well, I'm a uh, well. It, it's I. I've started performing a little bit more at the Laugh Factory, uh, which uh, I never thought I would, just because uh, I was never embraced by them. And then, mm. uh, you know, the improv has switched bookers a lot the last couple months. Uh, so uh, I mean, it's been relayed to me that the current booker. Uh, their opinion of me is just that I'm a late night store guy. So I, I don't get a lot of love there. Mm. Uh, but, you know, so I go where I, I get to go up. Yeah. Because I'm at the point now where I'm 53. I, I can't just hang out. I yeah. mean, I feel that feels good. I'm 36 and I'm kind of like, I don't need, I'm not hanging I mean, yeah, well, you're already uh, very well established in the world. Uh, you travel worldwide. Uh, That's true. But that doesn't mean that you still can't play. You still shouldn't play the game. While you're here, I'm making a conscious choice that I will still hang out and it's still in my future. It's one of those things where coming out of COVID, um, I quit smoking and had a really shitty year and it made me have to deal with a bunch of stuff. One of the which is just like, I have anxiety and I'm not the best inside my own head having to quietly go and force myself to be social. Right. And I'm giving myself a little bit of time off from that because it was negatively impacting my mental health which i hate talking about and i think is very very kind of like it's i think a lot of people have used it as an excuse inappropriately so i feel like i'm being lumped in with those people in someone else's head which is all on me but i just am going i will go where i'm booked if a friend is on i'll go with them and i'll show face and i will play the game that way but i can't like i just it is demoralizing showing up at some shows because you show up there's no audience there and some promoters, and this is true in New York, this is true in London, this is true in LA, this is true in Toronto, want you to still act like they're Mitzi Shore and you're inside of a full comedy store main room. And it's like, this isn't the same. This is a, we're in the, we're in a bar. We're not even in the back of a bar. Yeah. Like I had a situation, uh, I won't mention the guy's name because I think he meant well, but he came Does it up rhyme with? Barry Beinfeld? <laughs> he came up to me at a show. Uh, I went to my friend Pink Fox's special. Of course. Uh, and uh, he's like, hey, man, why don't you come to Supernova next week and watch? And it, oh, it gets worse. I'm like, okay, so. Now, Supernova is the, an outdoor comedy theater. Uh, theater show. It They. Uh, Book some huge names like Jeselnik and uh, you know Adam Ray and 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 but then like the last half of the lineup is newer comics, lesser established comics, 
And he's like, come watch the show. And then maybe Mark Saratella, who I guess is the, the owner, but the, the main booker, maybe he'll talk to you about a future date. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, you go up to a 20-year comic who's a paid regular at the, arguably the number one club in the country, and you want me Wait, to- Wait, you're a paid regular at the Denver Comedy Works? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I, but I mean, it's, I believe this comedy story. I know, I know. I just, it's my, it's, I have two favorite things to do, which is people that love New York, be like, Camp, here we are, the city of angels, New York City. They do not find that funny. They find it, and also all comedy store people are like, greatest club in the country. And you're like, the Melrose Improv? You also work the Melrose Improv? And they're like, no, the store. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I mean, I'll say the sellers in, in uh, consideration, I guess, the stand, uh, you know, and then, but I, I believe that if you go up to any comic and say, where we, if you could pick one club to be passed at, I believe most would say the comedy. Well, the other reason why they would say the comedy store is that also the comedy store LA, much like the comedy store London, is a secret key. You're past if you're past there, you can call in a favor and get up on other shows. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was just like, this guy was acting like he was Mitzi Shore. Like you're extending the olive branch for me to come watch a show where half the comics wouldn't be good enough to get on the open mic at the comedy store and i'm gonna watch like that's insane to me that that level of well i think it's also what it is is particularly with that show and that show has done a great job of maintaining its only it was the only game in town and it was getting the hottest lineups and they have maintained that and they are doing that smart thing of a way we will keep our audience going is we'll keep some new acts on and it's also that thing of Comedy promotion pre and post COVID are two very different kettles of fish, but in LA especially it's very difficult because it's all horse trading, who you know favors. You cannot work with uh, Jim Tempton. He stole a carpet from me in 1998. He is dead to me. You don't know that, but you have to act like you do. So Supernova, I think, is one of those things where they're also trying to instill a system like it's a comedy club. But it's just also, I don't think that that system will work in a post-COVID LA comedy because there's so many less comedians in this weird way of so many less new comedians. There's every comedian that like, I would say I'm on one of the lower rungs of LA comedy and everyone who's with me has been going at least three or four years and is good. We've had a big burn off of a lot of new guys went to Austin. A lot of new guys went home. A lot of middle ground guys went to Austin. A lot of middle ground guys went home. Like it was an extinction level event like it wasn't in New York. So I think part of the problem and the way to look at it from a different perspective, I'm not telling you have to, is that guy is trying to use 2019 comedy booking methods in 2021. Just doesn't work that way. Well, I just think a little common sense would have gone. Yeah. Like I would never say to you, you've headlined all over the world. You got comedy specials coming out. Like you're an established comic. So out of just sheer respect to you, I wouldn't say, Hey John, um, I got a main room spot at the comedy store tonight. Why don't you come watch and uh, maybe I'll introduce you to the booker. This is an interesting thing. Here's what I would say to you is there's a, there's a way you say that that's just, it's a tone thing, which is, Hey man, I'm at the store. Booker might be there. Swing by. I'll introduce you if I can. That way, 
is and it's it's just a a tone shift is that sort of thing. I think also, and I don't know if we're good enough friends for me to say. This, I think you're also very much a respect guy. A hundred percent. You have a thing about. I have. I was very lucky. Of I was the young guy in stand up very early on. I understand that this is an industry of rascals and socially badly developed people. Horrible. Horrible manners. Just like, so I just, I take everything with a grain of salt and I do a like, what I think they meant was this, but I also like, there was one per time in particular, I was dealing with a club owner and I had to forward the email to my manager and I wrote, is this guy calling me a cunt? I need you to tell me. Cause if he is, I'm calling him and I'm giving it back to him. And she went, no, I don't think he is. I just don't think he knows how to compose an email. And I was like, great. Thank you. Great. Glad I didn't send that. But it's that sort of thing of if you're, this is a, this business is a nightmare. If a, you're a, to borrow a Japanese wrestling term, if you're a nameplate guy, for those of you who don't know, in wrestling, uh, Japanese wrestling, the really big guys get nameplates on their, on their locker room door or on their little bus seat from when they're going from town to town. Um, and it's a, a phrase of if you're you look at your nameplate, if you're a big big guy, and if you're a nameplate guy in comedy, it's just a little bit more irritating because you are going to have those situations where someone what they are saying is Earl, you should be playing this show. Let me make a situation so you can meet the Booker. But they're saying it in a way where they're going, you haven't been doing this that long. Go hang out with the open micers, and it's that sort of thing where it's just like, and that's the sort of thing where it's like you either you have one or two approaches. One, you can just be like, I'm not going to go hang out there. The other one is you just go, I think what this fucking guy meant to say was this. But it's also the thing of comedy's back. We also don't need to go do comedy in a parking lot in Franklin Village anymore. Well, I'm a re- huge on respect. And, uh, and maybe this business isn't for me in the sense of I take stuff like that personally. Uh, like I wouldn't dream, of, like I said, saying that to you or But what you would else. 100% say is say... Hey, I like I know I'm sure he's going. Hey, actually, no. What I think you would do is if I said to you, "Hey, I want to try and get booked on this show. Can I roll with you too?" You'd be like 100. percent Oh yeah, that's how I think you would approach it. I would go out of my way. I say, "Listen, I can't promise anything, um, but I think the Booker will be there tonight. Uh, if it's right, uh, I will do everything I can to introduce you guys, and then uh, that's the first seed that needs to be planted." Like, cause I get a lot of people right now, cause you know, LA comedy's back uh, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the comedy store's back, although, uh, and it's it's back in terms of all the shows are sold out, but there's less shows. Yeah. Just because the COVID rules, I think. Don't quote me on this, but I think if uh, you have two shows in the main room, you need to clean for an hour and a half. Uh, so it's a yeah. There's a so lot. It's just not yeah. Um, doable to have two shows right now yeah uh so i tell people listen it's very tough right now to bring in new people she's emily the booker there's not enough spots to go around for the people who are in up there but i'll introduce you to her she'll probably casually say hello and then move on but that's the first step with her yeah. or any booker really any booker it's also that thing of again it goes to and i've said this to a few people now which was and i really struggled with this because i had a lot of concerns and i thank god i just stayed in la and it was one of those sort of things where it's just sort of things shifted and i was able to land on my feet and get on a lot of lineups early when comedy right opened back up again so everyone was sort of like oh he's 
doing all of these shows. So he must have been doing, and it's that weird sort of thing with comedy right now is it's back, but it's not back in that you got um, a lot of, um, you've got a lot of shows that are starting back up again, all of that sort of stuff. And it's also that thing of they have to be totally respectful and kind to their like core of people that were bringing audiences in pre-pandemic. And you just have to remember that and know that and know like, oh, okay, this is good. And that this reopening is still going on. Like COVID isn't over yet. No, I mean, we're getting out of it, but we're not out of it. Um, I mean, you see in sports, uh, I mean, I'm a hockey guy, so I'll use a hockey reference. Uh, two I'm Kings kidding. have COVID right now. L.A. Kings, for those of uh, you, you don't, know. I, I am angry that you'd have to specify because there's only one Kings. Well, I rem- well, when the Kings won their first Stanley Cup in 2012, I was literally in this seat, different couch. Thank God that old couch, that couch was <laughs> had a lot of DNA on it, many sources. Uh, I was on that couch in my underwear crying because if you're a hockey fan in L.A., the Kings were just, I've always been the bastard child to the Lakers. Oh yeah, and also, and also, like such a cool hockey team. Like they had Gretzky when Gretzky was Gretzky. like the Gretzky. Like not scrappy, prove himself. I might be the greatest. We're talking like, like Ric Flair in the eighties, feathered hair in black and silver. Yum 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 yum. I mean, I remember uh, where I was when the, it was announced we got. Uh, Gretzky I was it's so weird how you can remember something from literally 25 30 years ago I was on the corner of Pico and Overland waiting for a red light to turn green so I could make the left onto Overland Kings got Wayne Gretzky me and my two buddies got out of our car and started running around the car like we were like what's even crazier is I guarantee people don't even would it be like when why would they why would that matter it's like why would that matter in 88 I mean uh I don't think you'll ever see another trade like that that meant more to a sport uh, because Gretzky coming to L.A. Um, was. Oh, buddy, I'm, I'm a Canadian. Do you understand that that day is ta- like Peter Pocklington, who was the owner of the uh, Oilers at that time? Right. There were safety concerns for his life. I, I mean, it's. Because, you know, the-, the idea that Gretzky in Edmonton has never been re-embraced that he left. Like, it was so huge for the league. It, it had to happen. It did. And, and uh, where they put him, all of that sort of stuff, so important. But it is so fascinating. The two sides of that trade, the emotions that went with it, the conspiracy that his wife made him do it because she wanted to be an actor. As it turned out, that's not true. She just ended up having a bunch of kids like. Also, speaking of which, by the way, let's all thank God that Wayne Gretzky got out of Canada because he's turned out to be such a boring, annoying guy. He doesn't work. and He's the greatest player of all time. As a player. As a player, like, I still don't think people appreciate what he did. Like, Marcel Dion was probably the best player in the league before Gretzky. He was scoring maybe 110 points a year. Wait, you're gonna you're gonna say Mar- you're gonna put Marcel Marcel Dion above like How or I'm saying at the okay, so you're going currently like, playing like okay. uh, in 1980. Uh, I think Gretzky came in the league in 80, 81. Dion was probably the best player of his era, uh, offensively anyway. Yeah, uh, he was putting up 100, 110 points. Gretzky comes along, he's scoring 80 to 90 goals. 
not points, but goals. So he doubled basically what the best player was doing. Like, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, and then, you know, he had a couple 200-point seasons. Like, that's like... Oh, he was breaking records left, right, and center. He They had the most storied, amazing rise through the Stanley Cup championships of that, like, weird Islanders feud. Like, it was also, like, when sports in the lore is very interesting because the Islanders as a team were better, but the Oilers had this one great player learning how to build his team and it pays off to these amazing cups with like these great characters on the team then ends with him like taking the league on his back and expanding it westward and southernward. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people even today like Tampa Bay lightning fans don't comprehend if Gretzky doesn't come to LA and show that in a non hockey city, you can grow the sport. There's no Anaheim. There's no San Jose. People might argue there shouldn't be an Arizona team. There should never have been an Arizona. I mean, and speaking of Gretzky, they even want, made him go there and be the coach, and it was a disaster. I mean, certain. I don't think if you're a great player, you're going to be a great coach. No, 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 no. Because no, if no. you look at most great coaches, they were average players. John well, Cooper, Tampa yeah. Bay. You know, he, he never really. It's so weird to me that Tampa Bay is an NHL dynasty. I love it. You like, put them in Toronto, it's like this is the greatest team of all time because they're in off the 95 Biscayne Boulevard. Like, oh, well, there's hockey in Tampa? I mean, I do want to go, and I also, like, I'm a big... I finally am old enough that I can just admit what I like about sports the most are the uniforms. I love, like, especially gaudy 90s uniforms. The Tampa Bay T-shirts of the 90s with, like, the logos and that, like, weird design, glorious. Well, the I loved the lettering... Uh, in the early lightning years, they had like this Cyrillic lettering for the players' names. So oh yeah. It looked like if you if you saw a picture, you thought it was normal lettering, but the player was skating really fast because it looked blurry almost. It was like a very strange font that looked like it was moving. Uh and uh then they had a third jersey that was uh blue and gray but it had like rain yeah like i know exactly yeah like it, lightning uh on the shirt like it was very uh i mean there was that one the vancouver jersey from oh. the late 80s early 90s is an absolute delight with the v on the side the, the Darth Vader jersey oh fucking glorious shit so yeah i mean i i don't think younger people realize that oh gretzky went to la and then two Florida teams. And really, you could say Carolina probably isn't in Carolina. Uh, if, uh, you know, Nashville. Uh, There's no, and like, and it's like, it's also, these are really fun, amazing teams. And like Nashville has a huge following in that town. Like it's a big time part of their sports diet. LA is just a weird place for sports because you cannot compete with the, um, uh, the Dodgers or the Lakers. Like they're. You have to win. And even if you win like getting to the original point when you said there's only one Kings when the Kings won the cup in 2012 channel seven sports, I had breaking news, LA Kings win the Stanley cup. And they had the picture of the Sacramento Kings logo. Like no. that's how like, you know, little respect the Kings got was the guy working graphics for channel seven. Didn't, didn't even, didn't even have to look like, so, uh, but you know, I, I think Gretzky, what he did for sports 
for one sport. Like, I don't think you could ever see that again. Like, you could trade LeBron to any team in the league. It's not going to change that city's uh, no outlook on that sport. Or It's so funny. I got into an argument about LeBron's impact with an Uber driver yesterday, and he got so animated that someone else thought he was making signals at them and then got out, and there was almost a road rage incident. And I also learned my Uber driver had a gun because I saw him reach down. Oh, great. And I was like, what the fuck? And like, I saw like the hand go in like a muscle strength of like that. And I was like, what the fuck? And then it was all fine. And we went back to arguing about LeBron. But I mean, like, like when Mookie Betts got traded from Boston to LA, it didn't change the sport. Yeah, his name was Mookie. And he's probably, see, I grew up with Mookie Wilson. So like that, that's my Mookie. But uh, what is Mookie short or long for? Uh, you know, it's like Richard is short or long for uh, Dick. Dick. So I, God knows what uh, Mookie is. Uh, Let's look it up. Mookie, what's his name? Mookie. Mookie Betts or Mookie Wilson, who was on the '86 Mets. Um, you know, I think he was involved in the Bill Buck. Okay, this play. is Marcus. Is saying Marcus is oh, okay. So Mookie. There's Mookie Betts and then Mookie Wilson. Mookie Wilson was on the 86 Mets. I want you to know this is even more confusing. Um, uh, Mookie Wilson's name is William Hayward Wilson. So that's incredibly fucking confusing, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, well, it could be just a nickname, you know, I guess it, I would say, I don't know where Mookie Wilson was from, but maybe if you're from deep south, it, it could just, you know, I know Italians have a, I, I guess it's slang, uh, the word mook. Of course. Uh, so, uh, but it's much, it, also much like half a Momo, which is, right. No one knows what Momo means, but the fact that you're only half of that, what the fuck are you doing? So, yeah, who knows? Or you are a jag off. What the fuck is a jag off? Uh, just a loser. Yeah, it's man, dad swearing so much better in the eighties and nineties. Look at this jag off. See, this is what I love about this podcast. This is going back to the roots of inappropriate Earl. We start off talking about comedy, we branch into hockey, and now we're going into racial. I uh, wouldn't even say it's racial. I would say it's just but mook momo. Uh, you, you know, you know how Italians have certain slang that that's true. Yeah, I would give it to New York. I would say New York has certain slang that's bled out, which is. Jag off, half a momo, you're a mook. No one's saying that in Kansas. Right. I'm sure Kansas has a uh, local. A you're a horse thief. Right. Oil drinker. L.A. Uh, comic. Uh, I, I like to call some of the comics in L.A. Palmers. Go ahead. What, what are they Palmer? Well, it's just uh, you go to the comedy store, you work the patio, you're glad handing, shaking everyone's hand. Great, that's great. Smoking weed in the back, back in the the halcyon days of the store. Uh, you know, now not so much, just because it's just fully. Uh, it's just now kind of fully getting back to, you know, the pre-COVID. Well, uh, I think that was we're getting back to comedy, and I'm fine with that. Is uh, well, the center ice package is advertised on your television. Yes, I pay $160 a year for the uh, hockey package. Let me ask you this about that hockey package, then we'll move forward. Oh, is, please. What's the weirdest hockey game you've put on this year? Like, are we talking Ottawa v. Carolina? Well, I, since I'm a fan, um, I, like, I originally got the hockey package 
because I'm obsessed with the Buffalo Sabres announcer, the great Rick Jenneret. Fascinating. Who is so enthusiastic with the way he calls a game. Some might say he's a little too over the top. What else does he have in his life? I guarantee that man's divorced. I I don't know. I, the way he looks, I'd be surprised if he's married. But, uh, hey, I'm not a male model either. You ever been to Buffalo, my friend? I have. It's, if you got the right amount of holes in your face, you're working for uh, you're working at a distinct advantage. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, you must listen to Rick Jenner at Call a Game. Now, he's a little older now. I would guess he's pretty close to retiring, much like the Kings, Bob Miller. Um, but I got it for him to get the Sabres games. So I've watched a lot of weird Sabres games this year, ones that don't normally stroke the interest of most hockey teams. Like are we saying like Sabres? Sabres like uh, Minnesota? Weird games like that. I think Buffalo and San Jose uh, the other night. Which, yeah, be, be, here's a problem. Though. That's going to be a good game. <laughs> well, Buffalo just traded Jack Eichel finally today, um, which is, was looming over that organization's head for the last eight months uh because he wanted to have a they were arguing and you rarely see this with any sports teams they were arguing over uh what type of surgery he should have for his neck um the team wanted uh one particular surgery he was like no it's my body like i'm i want the surgery i want yeah he's right but, but their I, point is we're paying for it. So, yeah. yeah. So I could, I see both sides. Uh, I see both sides too, but they, they're at a loss because it's still, you're still a much bigger organization telling one individual, no, you get this surgery. And it's like, it just doesn't look good. This is the thing. This is the problem with Americans in a general generality is America as a society and Americans as individuals are not good with a perception of behavior as a, Group of people as a society within the society that is Earth, America's biggest problem is that it's not aware what like a behavior looks like to an outsider. They will attempt to justify it internally, but it's like no externally you look like an asshole. I I, I feel bad. Well, both sides I think uh, fucked up the situation because I think Eichel's agents, who he later fired, uh, kind of pended on the team. Uh, and then the team, I think, finally had enough. I was like, no, no. Basically, where you said, we're paying for it. He's essentially our property, yeah. which was not a good not a good look to say that. Um, it's like, he's a human. Um, and neck surgery is very, um, it, it can be a dangerous surgery. Like, yeah. if it goes wrong, which it probably wouldn't, given the, the level. level yeah no no of course but and, still yeah it's not uh, something you want to take a risk at any surgery is dangerous and uh, you know one slip one mistake you know he, he could be forced to retire so uh and, but luckily he fired his agent and got another agent in there who is who i actually know go on i used to play ball hockey with him why what in LA because he's LA based. And also, I'm going to say this about this is another sidebar of why I love LA is anyone you know who's born and raised in LA has a like a league of extraordinary gentlemen type friend group. Like it's just anyone you know who's da like lives in LA, but like born and raised will have like three friends where it's like, oh yeah, um, 
I went to school with Harvey Weinstein's lawyer. And you're like, what the fuck? And you're like, yeah, it's just what happens when you live in the, you grow up in this town. It is. Like, uh, I. And you grew up like on the West Side too. Like, you grew up like. I grew up in Hollywood, Bel Air, Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and it was all luck when, when I tell people I grew up in Bel Air, they're like, oh, you come from a rich family. And I, it was just luck because uh, my dad bought a house in basically an abandoned hillside. Uh, and then the Bel Air fire came and burned down every home in Bel Air but ours. Fuck yeah. So we were basically first in on a tech stock or a IPO. And because then, you know, rich people started living there. And, and our house was like the Adams family. Like, like clearly we didn't belong, but, you know, we had enough. You're already there. there. Yeah, we were there. It's like, hey, we can't help. And like Kareem was our neighbor, OJ and all that stuff uh hilarious so it, you're right like i grew up in beverly hills where you know I, we played ball hockey in this abandoned grade school and pat Brisson, who is now a huge agent in the world of hockey played with us uh he played i think he was in the montreal canadians farm system and then he moved on to and he moved on i'm not saying he wasn't good enough but like you know i mean you this is not if you're not a hockey fan and or a canadian person to understand how rigorous intense the montreal canadians in particular's farm system is to get to that level because they are looking at people at this point now they're looking at 11 year olds and going this person yeah. might make it but they're cutting people they're going sorry you're so, 10 and you're not good enough oh yeah i mean and if you i don't know if pat would take this as a compliment or not but like to see a almost nhl player play ball hockey is mind-blowing how much better they are than these kids from beverly hills but he was brought in to he's a he's a deal maker yeah uh he's he's a facilitator because he's got a great personality i'm sure he came in sat down with jack jack like i know him and the buffalo sabers management and says hey guys i'm not responsible for any of this bad blood let's make it work yeah and he was traded today uh to las vegas uh which is another LAT. And by the way, can we talk about? I'm not the biggest hockey fan. I, I'm barely a sports fan. Right. I just, but those, the playoff series that was Jets, Vegas, battle of first year expansion teams. One of us is making to the playoffs or making to the cup. It's truly spectacular. Well, both cities have an amazing fan base. Uh, Which, and no, and also the Las Vegas Knights are clearly. We're clearly the pilot project to see if other sports franchises would work in Vegas. Which is why I think, well, their GM, who was actually one of my favorite players as a kid, his name is George, I don't want to say was George, his name is George McPhee. He was about 5'8", maybe 170 pounds, and it goes to, he was a great college player, but he gets to the NHL, he wasn't quite skilled enough. Yeah. So he internally was like, I have to fight. I'm small. If I take on the biggest players on the other team, that will keep me in this league. He's but, right. And he very much. And he was also at a time where that was a huge premium. Goons, oh, absolutely. Every team, you, every team needed one, a good team, two, because you basically, how hockey works, and it was at, hilariously safer, was you have a star player. That player has two literally named goons. You touch the star player, you deal with them. And it was a protection. Oh, yeah. Like, 
Sidney Crosby had a concussion so severe they had to remove half of the teeth in his head to relieve the pressure on his brain. Uh, and that is because they've done away with this system because it quote-unquote promoted violence. Now the game is so much more intense and so much more violent. There's so many more fights because there isn't a understanding that, wait a minute, you hit him? Yeah, I wouldn't go to the hotel. Why? There's someone waiting outside your door. Well, it's I, I think now there's a lack of respect like uh, with knee-to-knee hits. and There's no fear of retribution. Um, you know, which is odd because the last year with the Rangers and the Capitals, Tom Wilson, who's probably the league's most evil player, because uh, he's dirty, but future. he's good. Yeah, like he scores thirty goals, but he'll he'll need and he hit you and and he's yeah. like Darcy Tucker or Ty Domi, right. who are two, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, cunts of the highest order. But they both backed it up. Also, Ty Domi, uh, and I hope you're listening to this, and I mean this he from might. the bottom of my heart. Um, when you die, the world will be a better place. You've gotten a variety of radio DJs fired because they all implied that you hit your wife. I am saying based off of no facts that you definitely did that, and you're a piece of shit, and I hope you choke on food in front of your family. Well, I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far. I'd like to hear Ty's side of uh, not me. I would. I would. Ra- Let me do an impression of Ty. Hi, I'm Ty Domi. I've never taken steroids. He's like, yeah, yeah, Ty, you fucking loser. Well, I met him once, and his head is bigger than mine. And because he because of rampant steroid abuse, allegedly, supposedly. it's possible. Uh, it is possible. But uh, I think the way George McPhee, uh, he was brilliant. Uh, the way he organized the Knights' original roster because he he did things that at the time were like making no sense where in an expansion draft, you need like seven or eight defensemen yeah. to fill out your roster. He drafted like 14, and people were like, what is he doing? He doesn't need that many, but he would trade like the five extra D-man he drafted for picks and so he stockpiled picks and so he can make big trades to get like a match max patch ready a stone from ottawa yeah and uh he they did the same thing uh with jack eichel today they traded four people uh vegas is an all-in team every year that owner i don't know what he does but he wants to win the stanley cup every year no and, and they're going and by the way and and i mean this with a lot of my heart we are going to have at some point a couple of years where Vegas runs the board. The way that they are pl- positioning themselves, they're just going to do, they're going to be like the Penguins in the, in the in the aughts, where it was just sort of like, it's them versus the league. You can It makes hockey conversations so much easier. You can just go, so is, pe- there was a time where you could literally go, so Pittsburgh's going to win this year? And they're like, yeah, 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 of course. Um, and that will be like with Vegas. They're, they just are too good and too, we're going for it every year. Well, here's the problem with that. Um, it's got to happen now because, you know, with a hard cap, I think it's around $80 million for the NHL. might be $82. Um, you can't have three or four guys making 9 to $11 million on your roster. It's like you're going to have guys who should be playing two levels below on the fourth line now because you, you have to have minimum salary guys uh, on your roster now. So with Vegas, and the kicker with Jack Eichel is he can't play for four months because he has had the surgery. So and recover and and 
but when he's back, let's say for the playoffs, you got you'll have a first line, and this is not a hockey podcast, but we're just rambling. You're gonna have Stone, Pacioretty, and Eichel. That's close to forty million dollars of salaries, thirty five ish, because uh, I think they all make around ten. Okay, but but thirty five a thirty five is not forty, so that's a lot more money to play with right there. And also, I don't as familiar, but a trick if I'm looking at this is also what are all their positions. Well, I think uh, Stone and Pacioretty are wings. I'm sure they could play center. Like, uh, so you could put theoretically maybe Pacioretty on a second line. This is what I'm saying. This is what I was going for is you split and you spread those guys out through it. Because the other thing that no one talks about hockey and why it's a very enjoyable game for no one, for if you don't really care about sports, i.e., what's why I also enjoy basketball is um, it's, it moves, it just fucking goes, baby. So you can sit down and just get it. And those got things on those lines and smart coaches do this all the time as you'll have a really good player, possibly your star player will be starting, but one of them will be, but you'll have one third line, second line. So you have a heater always on the ice. And also they're on, they're rotating every, like, what is it? Nine, 60 to 90 seconds. Yeah. But, yeah, 60 to 90 seconds. But I think the problem, like the Kings, I think at one point were in on Eichel. But you have uh, Kopitar, who makes uh, 11 million. You have Drew Doughty, who makes close to 10. And there's uh, one other player who makes 7 or 8 million. So if you add Eichel in, you're toast. Well, because the Kings could only trade prospects to Buffalo. And they make league minimum. So they would be absorbing probably another $8 million in salary. It's they so, just couldn't do it. It's so fascinating the salary, how salary caps make it so that all of the teams will have good players. And I do like it, but I don't. I mean, it's better. It's better for, I think it's better overall for the league. I think it that, is. I think it also, like, I think that they should be brought in, like, because which is the one that doesn't really, NFL is the end? Well, they all do now, but like, I grew up with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And looking back now, that team, out of their 22 starters, nine got to the Hall of Fame, which I don't think you'll ever see again. When So if there was a salary cap in the 70s for the Steelers, it would have been $300 million. Like if every player got paid what they should have been paid. Yeah, well, this is the other thing. is It's also there was a, there was a great – the time to be the owner of a sports franchise is not any time from the 90s forward. Right. If you owned an NFL team in the 70s, you literally are still laughing from your shallow, weird polyester grave. I mean, you could cheat steroids. I mean, listen, the Steelers probably oh my uh, God. cheated more than. Uh, I mean, every team was on roids in the seventies, but like every team was on steroids. Every team was on speed. Steelers and Raiders might have led the league. In the oh, league. the Raiders, baby! Let John like, Matuzak, Alzado, like at best the Raiders were on Coke and vitamins. They like, right. Well, if you look at the Steelers, you look at Mike Webster, who, uh, that Will Smith movie concussion was basically about Mike Webster, mm -hmm. uh, and, and the 70 Steelers, like, you know, uh, Mike Webster would play in freezing temperatures with no, there was no under armor under his, uh, there was no sweat. He literally had his Jersey. And minimal pads. So he was freezing to death in every game, but he 
looked like he was having the time of his life. He did, yeah, wasn't feeling it. It was all the adrenaline. Oh my god, yeah. Well, it's, look at Bradshaw. Like if you watch Bradshaw now, and I've met him, he, he's like really funny. But like you're like, oh, this guy's had some concussions. Yeah, I assume that he is much like a um, older comedian that we both worked with that really engaged in pot as part of his brand. The older version of uh, of that. Uh, who there's a delay in response how are you doing one mississippi two mississippi. i'm good well i mean uh yeah it's so i've seen the effects of uh, well i had probably the first celebrity i ever had on this podcast celebrity to me anyway was don fry uh, legendary uh, oh he fought shit in like the first couple ufcs where there were like no rules which one is was don fry the mustache like tom he looked like tom Selleck. yeah 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 yeah. what was was his fighting skill i mean it's funny like whenever i see old tank abbott clips you know and he's fighting someone they'll be like uh so-and-so is a uh judoku and oh my god ufc for the first 10 to 20 are it's a different thing well i mean there was one fight Don Fry had where they literally, I think his original opponent dropped out. So they went outside the arena. They saw this gigantic 400-pound cab driver. I think his name was Thomas Hernandez. And they're, I don't know what they said to him, but I think it was more along the lines of, hey, do you want to make 500 bucks right now to fight? And he's like, yeah, sure. And Don Fry knocked him out in nine seconds. But... uh you know, it was a great interview, and like I was starstruck because I'm a big UFC guy or MMA guy. Are you a? Um, but he couldn't get up. Like he, I had to help him get up. Like he was in not this chair, but the old couch's chair, and uh, I, I had to like help him like get up. Good God! Well, yeah, because I assume he's just a he's just well, basically I mean, a bag of broken Christmas ornaments at this point. I mean, well, it goes to like Terry Bradshaw when you watch any old Steeler clips of him getting tackled or sacked uh, versus nowadays. Um, like they showed that clip the other day of Tom Brady. He threw an interception and one of the defensive linemen was blocking Brady for, you know, for the guy who intercepted the ball. And the referee literally got in between the two during the play, like the play yeah. is live. And he was protecting Brady. He was like, kind of like, I don't know what he was saying to the lineman, but he was like, hey, hey, you don't have to do that. It's Tom Brady. Like, so it's so different now. Uh, Oh, yeah. Like, uh, it was just like, there was a, like, going back to hockey, there's a very famous goon named Marty McSorley. Yes. Who said on camera, what happens if someone touches Wayne? If I don't get him on the ice, I'll get him in the locker room. If I don't get him in the locker room, I'll get him in the hotel room. And was later asked about the quote and said, did you ever get anyone in the hotel room? And he said, the room? No. Lobby? Yes. Well, <laughs> it, and it goes to your point of what fighting meant back in when the Kings got Gretzky. Uh, and and didn't McSorley come with him? I pre- That was part of the deal. Wayne Gretzky said, I will not go to any team, which was basically only going to be L.A. He was not going to be. I guess you might say he could have been traded to the Rangers. Yeah, I was going to say he could have gone, and then anyway, and he eventually did. Uh, yeah, which is the funny thing, but like the Kings' first series of moves was getting uh, McSorley. They traded uh, for Jay Miller in Boston, who was a probably outside of Probert the toughest guy in the league, maybe Joey Coaster, but he was he was a top five tough mm. guy. And then they went out and they had uh, 
uh, several other tough guys. At one point, this was the Kings lineup. You had Wayne Gretzky, Mike Krujelniski, who came with him from Edmonton, and then you had Marty McSorley, Larry Playfair, Dean Kennedy, Jay Wells, Ken Baumgartner. You had like five legit heavyweights, and it was the slap shot school of you don't touch Gretzky. Yeah. Because if you do, you're going to have to fight McSorley. And if you beat McSorley, which you probably won't, you're going to have to fight Larry Playfair, who's bigger than McSorley. And for, for whatever reason, if you beat McSorley and Playfair, well, now you got Ken Baumgartner, who's the new tough guy. In the league. And I mean, it was just funny that it was a nuclear arms race. Yeah, it was, but it was also so protect. Like, look at what I, I don't like Wayne Gretzky as a human being. I find him to be a condescending, rich cock um, who, uh, I want to point out Earl just showed me my bio for some reason. Well, I'm doing, I like to read, you know, I like to see, I know you got an album coming out. It's out by the way. <laughs> That's why I'm on your bio. I page, love it. So, uh, you uh, know, it's just, uh, so it's always weird to see your bio. You know what I mean? You're always like, I know. Well, I don't want, I always show people like I have my iPad open right now and I never want my guests to think, Oh, he's losing interest. He's just going on like random websites till the interviews over. But I like to, okay, what's he got going on? Now you think maybe you should have done that before the podcast. No, no, no. I like this way better. Um, but uh where and this goes to the, my interviewing style. Where can what is the name of the album and where can people buy it? It is called Float Like a Butterfly, John Hastings Like a Bee. You can also get my other album, Ton Ten John Hastings. I hate about you both. Were recorded in 2019. Uh, in one was recorded in London, one was recorded in Edinburgh. They're available where all albums are available streaming, or you can buy it on iTunes, which is somehow still a thing. Uh, tweet about it, go get it. It's uh, it's they're both really good stand-up albums. I'm very proud of them. Do you have an album out, Earl? Uh, no, I well, I had one from maybe ten years ago that I at the time I was proud of, but it was I just wanted something out there, so I literally had my Zoom mic at the Ice House facing the wrong way so the, i'm proud of the joke still given my level of um, goodness or badness at the time but <laughs> microphone was turned the wrong way uh so i'd like to at some point do what you're doing and get like a legitimate album out do it man it's really good i really like it for another reason it makes you feel in charge of your career it's also it has something that's out there for everyone to enjoy to listen to to all of that sort of stuff so it's just like just fucking get it get it out there no i know i mean i'm uh there's a couple of uh scenarios i'm uh mulling over like uh lately i've been given the brody stevens sam kennison brian holtzman spot at the comedy store which for explain those, what that is I, yeah no i know that's kind of a deep cut for non-comedy uh store people it's going on last in the main room yeah uh, which uh, is a tough spot. Because... Oh, I thought it was the last original room. No, no. Um, that's pretty much Don Barris. Great. Uh, but in the main room, uh, it's going on. Like tonight, I'm there at 1030. And, uh, you know, it, it's a great spot because it's pretty neat to say, hey, I get to go on and do 40 minutes to an hour and the arguably the number one club in the country i would actually say at this point i would say the story is the number one club the the way it's weathered post covid yeah. i think that also um this is super inside baseball and i'm not a store person yeah it, but your it, store 
you're at the point I was before I got passed, where I wasn't a store person, but I was loved. So I got here's the thing is I got a lot of, I got a bunch of friends that are regulars. I can right. walk in and it's a 50-50 shot. The door guy is gonna ask for my ID. He can also be a good to see you, buddy. Right. And it's and by the way, great. It's that's I'm I also am aware that it's the biggest club in the country and the most the hottest club in the country. And I'm like up because a couple of people are like, I'm trying to figure out how to get in there. And I'm like, I'm gonna wait until they can have an open mic and they have room and have reopened their showcase system right. before I even start that. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, but all to say that I do think the store the store, how that they've timed perfectly of going, COVID is a shift. We were one type of focus vibe. We are shifting to a new focus vibe is so smart. I've only ever seen one other comedy club do it as well. And it's the London comedy store realized they had missed out on a generation of comedians and immediately adapted. There was no doubt. And they are back being one of the, if not the premier comedy club of uh, the British comedy circuit. So to your point, I will actually agree that I would say the store is also the store has something that is so intangible is it's cool as like you walk, I walked in there and I watched Argus and then Pauly Shore do a set in the main room. Just cause I was just, I was stopping. There was a reason I was there and it's just, you're like, Oh, this is feels like fucking showbiz. Like it's yeah. Yeah. What's the history too, I think. And uh, you know, obviously the improv has it in the laugh factory. Uh, I guess you would say has it of like the Dane cook generation. Uh, but the store is just, uh, you know, it's like the Montreal Canadiens. It's, it's, there's just more history Legacy. there yeah. than say, like the Tampa Bay Lightning have a history, but it ain't the Montreal so Canadiens. That's such an in, that's such a, there's so very few people that, that is a perfect metaphor for what the comedy stories have come. They are the Montreal Canadiens of, they are a legacy. Oh, yeah. it's even in their, in the worst times, still amazing. Not necessarily for the reasons you're supposed to be amazing. Still amazing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, even at the height of the pandemic, uh, which was probably last year at this time, they were still trying. They were I was just, doing fucking spots in the window. I was yeah. going through a divorce and doing spots in the window. And, and it was the only thing that was keeping a fucking gun out of my mouth. Oh, yeah. Me too. I was doing the inappropriate Earl episodes through the window. I think at one point they were like, maybe the comedy's not working, so we'll do live podcasts. And, uh, you know... It was like it's safe. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I hate saying suicidal because so many comics are legit. I, I, I was going crazy. Like, there's nothing to do. Oh, uh, dude, you had a big bushy beard and you kept wearing leather pants to parks. Well, I still wear leather pants, but like, yeah, but not to parks, Earl. I do pretty much though. Like, I, you know, Gene Simmons told the bass player from Quiet Riot, "Hey, always dress up because the minute you leave your house, you're on stage." <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it's, let me say this also. You know what else COVID took from us, Earl? The Kiss End of the Road tour. <laughs> They're still going, those bastards. That's the last thing I did before the, the world was shut down was go see Kiss. I, re- I remember it specifically because I was like, I was still, I still think I'm going to go. I'm debating it because I remember we ran into each other. Eliza Schlesinger was filming a TV show directly over your shoulder and we stood with, I believe, girlfriend or fiance? Beyonce, uh, girlfriend at the time, fiance. Fiance now. now. Great. Thing. Glad I clarified. And she really politely stood there while you took me through the kiss end of the road tour and whether or not it's a good idea to go. And I know that this happened because then two days later we had the same conversation again. Cause I went, I need more convincing. And you went, I'm totally fine. 
I mean, they're lip syncing and, you know, it's a, kind of a clusterfuck of a show. Yeah, they're lip syncing and they've stolen the stage from Motley Crue's last tour, which I think is so funny. But I will say, it one, it does look a little bit like Motley Crue's uh, stage. But visually, even if you hate Kiss, even if you think you just never got them, it, everyone should go see this show because... At this point, I walk in going, okay, I know Paul's lip syncing for a little bit. By the way, there's a great, I'll send you the link on YouTube. I guess Kiss had some disgruntled workers, and someone has released three shows from this tour where it's uh, the lip syncing is synced, and you can hear the guy telling Paul, hey, say this now. They're queued up, the drum click, the click track, uh, like it's fascinating to hear someone in Paul and Gene and I guess the other two guys ears going, okay, this is what you're going to do next. It's all synced up. Yeah, of course, because the, the, those guys are in there. They're going to, they're pushing 80, two of them. Well, Gene and Paul are, I think both 70 and 72 uh, my friend, Eric, and I'm not name dropping, like, but like, he's the drummer. I do. Uh, if you don't think that I have told so many of my loser metalhead friends in Canada, and they are not losers. It's just that you have to say that because people look at you and when you're still into heavy metal. Right. That I'm like one degree separation away from Eric Singer, which no offense to Eric Carr or Peter Chris, but then you're saying I am one degree separation from the best drummer that's ever been in Kiss. Well, I was an Eric Carr guy, but I think this is a generation thing where you know it's i had an argument the other day Listen, or, i'm like i love 80 i love 80s kiss I, you've got a they're my favorite era creature you got a creatures of the night poster right over there that is the unsung amazing kiss album also the reason why gene simmons lost power in the band and this is this podcast's audience is just you and me earl and we're not going to listen to it because we are in it Let's see, i don't care i know we just talked about com la comedy hockey and now we're going to talk about kiss but I have a so Paul Stanley is the leader of that band. He's completely in charge of it at certain points. At certain points, he got the power in the '80s because Gene was clearly the driving force behind Creatures of the Night and Music from the Elder, and they both bombed. Um, Creatures of the Night should not have bombed. Music exactly. of the Elder definitely should have, and he got control, which gives us the absolutely schizophrenic but truly spectacular Kiss in the '80s. Absolutely. I mean, I think Kiss in the 80s, uh, they followed trends and they did it for like seven straight albums. Oh boy, did they. Uh, Dynasty was a disco album, basically, because disco was huge. And their label mates were the village people. Yeah. Who, people laugh at the village people, but they also don't realize that they were the... They made hits. One of the biggest bands in the world for like a year and a half period. They they were gigantic. Uh, and then the Cars were uh, one of my favorite bands still, but they were huge in the early 80s. They put out Unmasked, which was basically a Cars album. Uh, Kiss album with keyboards. Like the there's, more than a, there's, one, there's that crazy from the Heat one where they're making basically like what? 80s Brian Adams pop. Like what's the song? Crazy Colette? Nights. Well, there's Crazy Nights. Which is the one with the Sphinx on it? That's Hot in the Shade. Hot in the Shade. That's the one that has the Brian Adams like, what are you doing, Paul? Well, it's still to this day, I've been to a thousand concerts, all different 
I've been to disco shows. I've been to Grand Funk Railroad. I've been to every metal show you can name. The opening of the Hot in the Shade concert was the best I've ever seen because you have this gigantic Sphinx. With sunglasses. And the lights go out. And it starts off with green lasers coming out of the Sphinx's eyes. And then the mouth opens. Fuck. And yes. It's like a green fog. And you see all four members of Kiss with their hands in the air, like, you know, like a Rafer Johnson in the 60s. I love it. I love it. I and love it, it was just, and I think they go into I Stole Your Love. And, uh, but they just, I think Kiss, like I'm a Vinnie Vincent guy. And he, You're a Vinnie Vincent? No one's a Vinnie Vincent guy. Well, he saved them. He really did. I mean, lick it up fucking. He wrote the whole album basically oh i thought that was a g i thought that was a um it's the funniest thing that paul took over that uh, that band because gene is actually weirdly the creative force behind it a little bit well creatures of the night was when uh ace left and they were still trying to act like he was in the band so that you had every guitar player in los angeles auditioning for ace's gig uh, from Robin Crosby, from Rat, from, Eddie uh, Eddie Van Halen wasn't. Well, Gene says, says that, that, but yeah. I don't believe that Eddie Van Halen's going to leave Van Halen at their peak to to join a sinking ship and kiss. Uh, although I agree with you, Creatures of the Night is a great with two Brian Adams songs on it. Of course, yeah. That's the other thing is War Machine, a, and I think yeah, because yeah, and War Machine's one of the better Kiss songs, and in no way did they write that song. Like that song is so heavy and good. Well, it's uh, and I think it's Vinnie Vincent with the, they had like six guitar players on that album. It's Steve Ferris from Mister Mister. Uh, I mean, and both of the Kulik brothers, I assume. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I want to know. This is again. This is the most inside baseball. I probably know the answer. Okay, what is the relationship between uh, Bill and Bob Kulik? Or is that Bruce was, and Bob? Bruce and Bob. Pardon me. Um, because one was the shadow guitar player on destroyer and a bunch of stuff. Cause ACE, they didn't like working with ACE, but then they give it well, to the I, other Kulik brother. And well, by the way, and also I know this is blasphemy. I love it's Bruce Kulik is the second one. Bruce is the one who got the gig. Bruce is the one who got the gig. Phenomenal. Like no one talks about how fucking good uh kiss revenge is as an album. Like oh. it's, the last great hair metal album. Oh, my God. I mean, Bruce doesn't get the credit um, for the guitar player he is. But unfortunately for him, I think and the funny thing is he used to date a girl who lives in this building right now um, from Montreal. But we well, I don't you? want to give away. Too Ooh, much. la, la. But, uh, you know, he was in Kiss in their what most fans would consider their worst era, uh, you know, uh, from well he mark st john was the guitar player in animal lies and then he was from uh, asylum uh, to basically carnival of souls yeah that's the not reunion. not even that he's he's that to carnival of souls and carnival of souls they shelved because they did the reunion well they had well the only reason they even released carnival of souls and this is gene being the money man uh was and this was kind of still a napster and and, and other uh Things like Napster. I forget there was another one. LimeWire, Kazaa. They were leaking Carnival of Souls, like, like a disgruntled sound engineer or something. It's like, fuck these guys. Here's Carnival. So they released it just to make a few bucks. Yeah, just uh, so that it's out there. And man, great Stone Temple Pilots album. It's such a good Soundgarden album, is it not? 
I mean, jungle, I've fucked with people and I've played them jungle, which was the, the big single off that album and, and, and it didn't do very well. And said, so, I'm not going to tell you who this is because I knew they were grunge uh, fans and they're like, this song's amazing. Who is it? It's Kiss. And they're like, oh, this sucks. Yeah. And it's like, because it, Kiss is also, Kiss is so good in that they are that 70s Kiss. And then you have 20 years of them chasing 16 years of them chasing fame which you know i'm torn because like i used to date the manager uh for motorhead and so i became just by proxy a motorhead fan and they never changed their style from their first album to their last album and i and sounds I, the same and i got news for you and it's good like it's also they, they don't always like that it's great if you they don't always hit it but they are one of those bands where you're like, what do you mean you can't? You, it's like a lot of those bands that I love, you can't listen to some of the later out. You can listen to a song or two, but they literally are just making two singles and then just filling it because they just need to get those two singles out because they can then go tour. Motorhead, some of their 90s albums, like their deep cuts are exceptional. Well, a great, from a technician uh, perspective, Mickey D's. Probably oh my one, god i want to say probably one of the best rock drum metal drummers whatever you want to categorize yeah. Motorhead as now he's in scorpions well probably dumbing down for him and he was in halloween briefly yeah. too uh before motorhead um, no i thought he was in halloween motorhead right so he was in and then back to halloween and then now he's in the scorpions well he'll work until he dies like, yeah he doesn't give a shit and, well it's uh, also and he clearly was he was younger and didn't party as hard as phil or lemmy because right. Phil Campbell is just dying in Wales. Like, he's just... He kicked me in the balls once. At a show or just in life? At uh, Well, they were doing the... Um, they did Triple H's theme music. Of course. Um, for, for Time to play fans. the game. Uh, they play did it. the Evolution theme. They did... Uh, the Bow King Downs of Kings the King. theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think two other songs, which I don't like Triple H, but I thought it was very cool that he always threw Motorhead a bone um and at wrestlemania i want to say 18 it was the one at staples center it's wrestlemania 21 okay my bad i knew it was you're I, in a, you're in the good range wrestlemania 18 was in toronto 19 seattle 20 new york 21. <laughs> that's why i gotta come on your wrestling podcast for knowledge yes just um, pop it on man it's very nerdy well i just remember that wrestlemania staples center it was the one where uh eugene it's saved by Hulk Hogan. It's, yeah, Eugene's about to be attacked by liz literal Islamic terrorists. Which is insane. Muhammad Hassan. Muhammad Hassan, portrayed by an Italian guy. Managed by... And I don't know if this guy had a stand-up background. He either did or had like some kind of a UCB or Groundlings improv. The manager, Davari. Yeah, probably. Because he was so funny and so perfect with his timing cues of you know when to act like surprised. Uh, I just remember that uh, particular, it wasn't even a match. It was a segment. Eugene, yeah, Eugene comes out, and then they're saved by Hulk, uh, Hulk Hogan comes out and saves him. And Muhammad Hassan is like, I should have been in WrestleMania. I was deprived of a WrestleMania moment. Well, I'm going to make one right now. And he starts beating the shit out of this um, retarded uh, wrestler who was supposed to be Eric Bischoff's cousin. Okay, yeah, it was supposed to be Eric Bischoff's nephew. Yeah, they... They went deep with these wrestling in the early 2000s was fucking crazy. 
And uh, another thing, by the way, all Americans do, and this is a fascinating thing to me, and this is just purely a every other country, is every other country has adopted our word. Americans as a group are still, they're still using it, but they look both ways like they're crossing a busy street. It's fascinating to me. Is Everywhere else is gone. We're not using that word. In America, everyone just goes. Well, I know it's a horrible word. Like, uh, and I have uh, someone in my family who uh, loves using that word. Is everyone in my family but i have a special <laughs> needs person in my family so i'm more sensitive to it but i i don't know how they're portraying else. basically they betray someone that has a very severe developmental delay as a wrestler and it was so bananas because everyone was like this is very inappropriate and yet i'm still watching it well because the the weird thing with eugene was he and this is probably that important to fans, but he was a great wrestler. Yeah, he was Nick Densmore, who was the like basically they built the developmental territory for the WWF around this guy, and the territory is perfect. Um, and they then brought him in as this guy, and the original plan was it would be revealed that he was faking it, and it was uh, to make the fans all look terrible, and then they realized what that opened them up to in terms of criticism, so they're like, no. He's not that. Well, I, you know, in this cancel culture and Me Too and Time's Up era we're living in now, I look back at like a character like that, uh, even with black wrestlers uh, like Kamala, the Ugandan giant. If you look at how he was portrayed as basically this dim-witted savage yeah. who was incapable of speaking English, <laughs> a, a junkyard dog with a crawling to the ring going, rah, rah, rah. And, <laughs> oh it's madness abdullah the butcher abdullah uh, the butcher uh eating the microphone with yeah. gary hart behind him or in front of him and you just see this like this black gigantic black male like gnawing on the microphone like he's incapable of he just knows he knows thought. only violence he's an animal yeah it's insane it's i often wonder if the cancel culture was back then, they would have had a field day. You could, you would have had to stop pro wrestling. Well, it's one of those things where it's, it's one of the things where, oh man, wouldn't it have been great when they were doing that? So they could have been like, please stop doing this. It's dehumanizing. And it's like, oh yeah, it's a good point. Like, it's one of those things where I also, by the way, I think I feel like I'm saying this on every podcast I'm going on. I don't know anyone who hasn't, gotten their career back from being quote unquote canceled. And some of those people did really fucked up shit and everyone kind of just, I, and I don't want to turn this into a whole thing. I just always find oh. it because everyone always is going like cancel cartons ruin everything. And I'm like, name one person whose career was ruined because of, uh, because of it. There's some people that were, I don't think what they did uh, deserved the punishment that they got. And then there are some people where it's going, they didn't get enough punishment for what they definitely did. And there's a bunch of people that have gotten away with hugely fucked up behavior because they're nice people. Like what no one talks about is there's some guys that got outed and attacked for no other reason than they're douchebags and they were doing something fucked up. So everyone was really okay with jumping on being like, and fuck this guy. But there are other people that are like, he gives people a lot of spots. So we're not, we're going to look the other way on, a lot of fucked up behavior. Oh, yeah. It's not, it's not my place to name any names. I think I know one of them, but. Um... <laughs> oh, I I think, Earl, we're going to turn the mics off and I think we're going to say, we're going to count to three and we'll be able to say both names very quickly. 
Well, I think if you, uh, I'll mention one name because I, I think it's a fascinating um, look at, at how it happened. Like the Hinchcliffe situation. And I wasn't even talking about that, but go ahead. You know, uh, where he was taped, he, he didn't know he was being taped. Um, one segment of that tape was shown and that segment alone looked bad. But if you, uh, and then I think Ari Shafir showed the whole yeah uh, i think he he showed the ping dang um segment where he his stand-up and then tony's full set and it definitely was different uh the the look was different than just that one segment um you, you know so i i don't know if if tony's punishment or whatever was justified but like you said he's fine He's selling out shows. He's, um, you know, and I also think it depends on, you know, like Tony doesn't act as far as I know. So you, you can't take him off of a TV show. You, you can't, you, you know, I think, you know, like what can you cancel him from? You're not going to cancel his podcast. Well, this is the thing that I didn't understand when people were like, cancel cartoon, like, He's just a comedian. He, he can't, can't. He was joking. I'm like, he's not being canceled at all. There, no one. They took him off two shows with Rogan, and I was like, yeah, it's a little hot right now. He'll be back in a week, and yeah. he was back in a week, and he's back at the not the same venue, but same like, venue. No, it's um, the same venue. And it's again one of those things where it says, and what, but, but my, and I bring this up only to say is, I don't like this discussion of, and I'm not accusing you. This is just general in my opinion. Um, is I don't like people saying cancel culture like it's a thing. Because what is happening in other comedy communities and other cultures that are different culturally to America is in America that is lip service, not truth. People are going, there is cancel culture. There isn't. It's not in the way that people are going, people's careers are destroyed, gone. No, they're not. So people have done some really fucked up shit. And then so some advertisers have gone out. What is happening is it's being exported to other comedy communities in other states, countries. And people are acting like it's a real thing and breaking into factions and it's getting super fucked up. And um, like, I don't, how do I say this? Like all these different sides for no real reason, I can really see it's not helping anyone. It's not making people feel more welcome or safe. It's just creating more and more like warring factions and no one's actually just doing comedy. That's the thing where I come down to it. Where I'm just like, cause it's also the thing like cancel culture is like, Louis C.K. hasn't been canceled. Louis C.K. did a bunch of fucked up shit to a bunch of people that were in no place to defend themselves. And yeah, he had to go away because a lot of people went, the person you were portraying, we always thought was a character and you were talking about the darkest side of your personality. As it turns out, that's just who you are. I don't know if I necessarily want to see that stand up. As it turns out, by the way, a lot of people still do because he just sold up Madison Square Garden's theater. Oh, no, I know. See, I think there is a cancel culture, but... Very few people, it's almost impossible to cancel. I think the attempt at canceling people is there. Like, you look at with Chappelle right now. But since he's not in movies or TV, what, what do you, you can't cancel him. I would, You're making I, him I would, stronger. I would love to talk to you about this. So, because I, I, would, I would go, I go, there's people that go, we're trying, we're canceling this person. And I agree with you where I meet, where I go, where I say there's no cancel culture is there's no wiping dave Chappelle off of the planet uh, that, yeah i mean i think there's the attempt uh 
at okay, let's take down Chappelle, but like you're not you're making him stronger. Like, what I don't understand is here's my main criticism against all of Dave Chappelle's Netflix specials is could you write and finish a joke? Well, I think he's a and t- yeah. And and I I got into a conversation with someone about this and I wanted to bite them on the nose cuz they went He's not doing he's transcendent stand up comedy. He's doing um he's doing it like a TED Talk, but it's just funny enough to keep you engaged. And I I made a bet with myself as I went, I bet you this was a guy who went around hating on Hannah Gadsby's special without seeing it. And I went, Well, Hannah Gadsby was accused of doing the same thing. And then he went, Well, she doesn't have the clout to do it. And I went, What are you ta- what are you talking about? And he was like, She's not a big comedian. I'm like, She's one of the biggest comedians in the world. She decided not to ever come to America. That show got her to America, all that sort of stuff. So it's one of those things where it's like that. What it is, is revealing someone's what it is, is that person's going, I like Dave Chappelle. I don't like someone talking bad about a comedian I like, but I feel comfortable talking bad about a comedian I was told not to like. Right. And the problem with all this cancel culture stuff is we can't get into the real actual debate of Dave Chappelle just released a bunch of specials that weren't very good. And what the points he was trying to make weren't, didn't come across because he was dealing with very heady, important subjects and he didn't approach them in my opinion with the care he deserved. And here's the other problem we have now is no one can say a fucking opinion because everyone just goes, well, you're not funny. You don't like Dave Chappelle. You're just saying that because you're jealous. No, I'm not. I'm the biggest Dave Chappelle fan there is. Right. I just would like him to get back to those tight. Amaz- and by the way, Dave Chappelle, do whatever you want. I'm uh, in the end, you're a creative person. Go wherever your creativity deserves. But if you present what you presented, people are also entitled to their opinion. And some people are going to go, why the fuck are you saying some of the, like, why are you saying I'm team turf without a joke immediately behind that? Right. Don't you know how standup works, which is you create the tension, then break it. You didn't do that. And I just, I felt it was, that was my main criticism was, I didn't think it was very funny. Well, I think he does. Uh, at this point, more spoken word than um, he likes to go on, like uh, almost like the Ultimate Warriors promos. Like he just amazing walks out. But here's the thing: of all the wrestling promos, hundreds of thousands that we've heard, listened to, Warriors are still the ones that are talked about the most. Predicted nine eleven, and I see, yeah. and I see your point, and a man, but. But, you know, like, I, I don't think, I think people watch Chappelle's specials expecting, like, set up, punch, next topic. Like, he doesn't do that. He does, because he can, long-winded, almost monologues. And, uh, you know, I think he's trying to be a, uh, a thought uh, provoker. Provoker, sorry. Yeah, I think that, that that is all very true. I just think it's one of those things where I would like to see a little bit more care. It, my whole thing with that special, by saying that word, what it also is, it's just it's like by not handling it with care, someone who is watching that that is a trans person gets taken out of it because you haven't just given them that little extra little bit of like, and here's a joke on the other side of it. I'm, again, also approaching it as a straight white man. Who knows if I actually, like, you know what I mean? I always feel very weird talking about all these things. I don't want to. I don't want to get into a fight or a debate with anyone. I just come down to the fact where it's like, I think he wouldn't, no one would be trying to cancel him 
if there was a little bit more ironcladness to those jokes and what he was trying to get across because there's just muddledness to his presentation. That said, he's also totally within his right to present whatever he wants and how he wants it. And my point to this always is Louis C.K. at the height of the world wanting to destroy him. No one brought up the fact that he, he opens a special by saying the N-word, the C-word, and the other F-word and flawlessly presents a piece of material about those words' use within our society and how people actually do use them all of the time. Yeah, the N-word, the C-word, the other F-word. Perfectly. And you could not use... You understand that they would have used that against him, but I guarantee every blogger who brought that up to quote it started laughing because it was the perfect bit. Like that's where I come right. down to it on it with these sort of things is going. Yeah, there is, there is total freedom of speech. It's just when it's something like stand-up comedy and it's, you're dealing with those subjects, the bit has to be per, it has to be Shakespeare fucking prior on a pile of sandwiches that are delicious for you to be able to get away with it. Criticism free. And it is possible. Boom. Oh, I agree. I th- I think it has to be, and of course, funny is subjective, completely. But it, if it, you know, like I know Daniel Tosh, and we'll uh, end on this, and hopefully you come back. I want to come back. Uh, I mean, we haven't even approached many topics. I wanted to. What a great podcast! Uh, it's so nice just to talk about couchy uh, uh, hockey on a U-shaped sofa. I mean, the sofa's not necessarily. Uh, I disagree. I think sofa for podcasts, especially in this. I'm relaxed. I'm nice. Feels like I'm just talking to a friend. That's what I want. This is then it was great. Now the goal is and for inappropriate Earl in the next uh, next segment of this podcast is history is to go video and I'm trying to figure that out. Ari Manis once again gave me several camera options. Uh, so hopefully this will because uh, I just did the comedy store podcast and it looks amazing. It's it's two cameras. It's YouTube. It's I'm trying to get this podcast bigger. Yeah, as we all are. I mean, you know, it's a very crowded field, uh, and and you know, it's thousands of podcasts out there. Uh, most bad. It's like comedy. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to at least uh, step up the presentation. Um, so hopefully that works. But I think, like Daniel Tosh had that rape joke at the Laugh Factory a couple of years ago that he got in trouble for. That was yeah, 11 years ago, if you believe it. We've been having yes, this. Yeah, time yeah. flies. But I think the problem with the joke ultimately was it just wasn't funny. And it, and obviously rape is, you know, it's an awful uh, subject to try and make funny. Uh, but I think if the joke was funny, he wouldn't have gotten near the backlash. Uh, you, you know, it, it's... There's other, uh, there's one other situation like that where, it's, oh, if that was a little funnier, the comic wouldn't have been uh, subject to such disdain. Um, you know, like we see with like subject like AIDS or uh, racism, uh, you know, I, I think are serious subject matters, homophobia, mm-hmm. uh, that you aren't subject to the, the cancel culture or whatever it is. If the joke is somewhat funny, I I complete. I think that if the joke is really really funny, you're fine. Yeah, you're seen as a almost a, a prophet. Well, what's what it is is you're breaking taboo. But that sort of thing of like, 
everyone it's weird everyone thinks lenny bruce was the big pioneer for reading his court transcripts and all that sort of stuff lenny bruce became a super famous comedian because he was incredibly good at stand-up comedy and happened to use blasphemy so well that it became popular and got the attention of the church and that's what happened it wasn't he was just being like god is dead then then that was when he was on heroin and wasn't funny anymore that's the thing and i just we haven't gotten to that place in our society where I think people are analyzing that distinction because in the end we're in a time where it's so fractious that everyone wants a side and wants a gang and no one wants to come forward going, maybe I don't think he thought about how that was analyzed and how that was done. So I think that that's what's going on. Well, it's like, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, You know, it's like, I look back at the Dean Martin roast. Oh my God. You like just uh what was it don rickles looking at sammy davis going either you're black or you fell into a bucket of m&ms yeah he'd be canceled for that today don rickles tempted to be i mean Do- hello dummy is a phenomenally weird album to My listen favorite album it's f- it's so bizarre because it's just a lounge in vegas it's all crowd work you can see no one and the stereotypes he's using i am obsessed we should wrap this up i am obsessed yeah, yeah. with hit with Don Rickles, for some reason, I think Don Rickles had a Mexican television repairman because for the entire rest of his career, if he sees a Mexican guy, he just goes, turn on the television, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, I try. It's my favorite comedy album. It's 39 minutes. It's fascinating. Um, and, you know, the great thing about it is, like like you said, it's, there's no uh, video that I know of that I've seen from that particular uh, concert. But you can see it, like when yeah. he's talking to the Negro gentleman in the back. Have a great summer. Like you don't see that guy in the back, but you can just. It picture, also makes no. Why are you wishing him have a good summer, Don? Well, it, I mean, if you're old like me, you get all oh, that was '68 at the Sands in Vegas. It was also the race riots in Watts. Uh, <laughs> oh, gotcha. And then he's uh, so if by John Hastings' album, what's what? in it? It's called Hello Dummy by Don Rickles. <laughs> oh, really? Congrats. No, no, no. It's uh, 10 John Hastings, I Hate About You, or Float Like a Butterfly, John Hastings, Like a Bee. Uh, John Hastings, Like a Bee is out on 800-pound gorilla. If you like me or on this podcast, tweet at me, at the John Hastings, at the John Hastings on all social media. My podcasts are The Wrestler Review. It's a wrestling podcast, and I do a uh, five-day-a-week podcast, which is where I'm going right now, called uh, The Untitled Twitch Stream, which is a Twitch stream, um, which is an IRL twitch stream do you know about this stuff i know nothing about twitch it's basically just a chat it's a this but we do it every day for 90 minutes to two hours you'll come on sometime i'll send you I a zoom it. link you sent right there we have a chat it's wonderful stuff so i you know i say this about very few people guys follow john hastings buy his albums uh he's one of the good ones and i don't want to say la comedy because he's a worldwide comic but when he is in la he's one of the people i genuinely enjoy seeing and talking oh, with yeah, it is. I completely agree. It's uh, I, uh, you're a uh, oh okay. I'll get the early guy. Well, you know I think I mean? I'm you know, real. Like, you're I real, and it's also it's it's just a fun chat. You know what I mean? It's also we have shared interests. The other advantage is we could literally talk about Kiss Asylum for forty five minutes, and uh, no one. It's like you, me, and a Russell Peters want to do that. That's how I bonded with Russell. Not over comedy. It's like how I bonded with Ralphie. It wasn't over comedy, which you would think I'd try and kiss either one of their asses to get better gigs. 
but it, with Ralphie, it was about Gary Hart. You know, my brother, Abdullah the Butcher, coming from the Sudan. He didn't come from the Sudan. He came from Windsor, Ontario. Yeah, he's from Windsor, Ontario. Larry Shreve, by the way. And Russell, I bonded with him about Vinnie Vincent. I mean, see, I'm a Kulik man. Well, see, I think Bruce got the gig over his brother, and Bob just passed, I think, about a year ago. Yeah, it was, so, yeah, it was uh, bright during COVID or right before COVID? I think Bob was very much a... After Mark St. John and Vinnie Vincent didn't work out, they wanted a... And I mean this as a compliment. They just wanted a guy who would be quiet and do the job. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think yeah. Vinnie Vincent was like, hey, I just saved you guys with Lick It Up. I've written all these songs for what would be animalized. I want to be paid like ace, like an equal yeah. number. So, and they were like, yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah, this is Kiss. This is our band. You just shut up and learn the songs. And also, please write all the songs. Yeah, yeah but do that, too. Uh, yeah. So, John Hastings, uh, any gigs coming up? Uh, uh, I'm gonna. When's this coming out? Uh, to About two hours. I will be at the uh, Denver Comedy Lounge this Friday and Saturday. Hit up my Instagram I'm putting clips up every day and I will have dates. I'm going to the UK starting on November the 17th. If I get my visa uh, and I'll have a day, a show every day until Christmas in the UK. Uh, my girl was just in the UK and she sent me pictures of all these comedy clubs. So I messaged them all thinking, Hey, I beat Jimmy Carr at Roast Battle. Can I come to your club? And I haven't heard back from anybody. Hey, let me know if you want to go. I can I can make some calls. So uh, I got no juice in L.A., but I got some juice in London. I mean, I just think it would be neat to play the comedy store in London. Just I know they have nothing to do with the comedy store here, but uh, I hear it's the you know it's 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 the nice same. You'll here's what it is. You'll walk up to it and go, oh, it's the same. Right. Uh, so I've got to start. I'm taking Neil Brennan's advice. So I have to start doing comedy outside of Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, inappropriate Earl. Uh, we're back. We're not shadow banned on Apple Podcasts anymore. We had some uh, situations with hackers from Fiverr uh, giving me fake followers. I'll, I'll do a podcast about it. Uh, and uh, please leave a review. And uh, sub, John will say, for his podcast as well. It helps to have certainly uh, you know reviews and stuff. It's the way the algorithm works. Inappropriate Earl, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. I'll be at the Comedy Store tonight and tomorrow night. Just come, mention my name, and you get absolutely nothing.